At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball. From Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Business of Esports podcast, the official podcast of esports. We explore the intersection of business and esports, one of the fastest growing industries in the world and the future of fun. Please welcome your host, Paul, the esports prophet, Dawalibi. The Business of Esports podcast begins now. From the keyboard to the boardroom, this is the Business of Esports podcast. I am Paul, the prophet, Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, the Honorable Judge Jimmy Barada. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of esports. What we do is we cover the most pressing gaming and esports topics and news of the week. We look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for all the love, the five-star ratings and reviews. I, I promise I read all of them. I try to respond as many as possible. Any comments you guys send, any love you guys send, uh, any criticism you guys send, all of it's appreciated. If you haven't yet, do two things for me. Go leave a review on the podcast. I'm humbled by all of them. And uh, share the podcast with a friend. It helps to spread this to more people. Jimmy, how you doing this week? Having a great week, Paul. Happy to happy to be back here in full swing. Welcome back, all our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Jimmy, you know this is the first time I'm back with a sort of a proper setup. So thank you to the listeners for being patient with sort of the janky setups over the last two months and hotels and everything I've been through while I've been moving. Um, so hopefully you guys appreciate that, uh, I sound at least normal and you don't have to put up with horrible audio and things like that. So I just want to thank everyone for being patient and for continuing to tune in because, uh, I know the audio was not up to our usual quality while I was, while I was moving. Um, Jimmy, I'm curious before we jump into it, cause we have an amazing, amazing guest this week. Did you watch the whole Gamescom opening night last night? I missed the opening night. I was reading about it a little bit today, but no, fill me in. 
because I, I, I commented it on I commented on it on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm just so over these announcement shows like I'm I'm just I'm done with like these game announcement shows and and primarily because the like all the announcements are on YouTube. I'm, I don't really get the point of the big flashy live stream. If you're interested in the game, you just go on YouTube and you watch the trailer. The most entertaining part for me continues to be watching the streamers, right? The streamers comment on it more than any of the, the actual con- content of the, of the shows. But I will say it was, there was almost no games that I cared to, to play like that. That's maybe the sort of the sad part. However, the one redeeming thing, and maybe you'll appreciate this, this, and this is the first time I'd heard of it, and maybe I've just been out of the loop of the game, like out of the game development loop for a bit, a Dune MMO. Yes, I did see that announcement. That's, uh, well, I mean, the movie aside, because the recent movie I thought was a bit of a disappointment, the franchise and the story and the universe behind Dune, obviously massive, a lot of potential there. And I, you know, listeners know me, MMOs, you as well. I, I, I don't know if there's a better game style or a better video game to play than an MMO as far as a fully immersive storytelling experience goes. I, I just don't think you can beat that. So I saw that too. I, I immediately got excited. And then I said, <laughs> well, let's, let's wait and see. Well, it's funny because they show no gameplay, right? Yep. Which is like already you're like, oh, okay, we're going to get this in 10 years. But what made me a little bit more excited about it is the fact that it's from Funcom. And I don't know if you recognize that game developer name. Funcom has done uh, MMOs before. And I think that's what's interesting. They they did, uh, yeah, Anarchy Online. I'm trying to think here. Anarchy Online, I think, was the big MMO that they did. But they have experience with MMOs. I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about this one. It'll be interesting if that and the Riot MMO come out at the same time. I think... Maybe we'll see a golden age like a of MMOs, right? Like a resurgence of MMOs again. I don't know. Is this me being optimistic and dreaming? That that could happen. That would lead to a very dark time for our business in terms of what we're accomplishing and spending time <laughs> on. Uh, but you know, uh, I don't yeah, again, make- I don't want to get my hopes up because I did with New World. And the only thing that could ruin this for me right now is if they're like, oh, and there's gonna be play to earn baked into it. <laughs> so we'll see but it's it's very exciting yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see um i don't want to waste any more time we have actually someone who I, I can't wait to hear his opinion on on the whole gamescom opening night and maybe the dune mmo also because this man is a legend in the industry we have none other than todd harris todd is the ceo of skillshot media he's the ceo of ghost gaming and he was one of the co-founders of high-res studios who have made some great games Todd, welcome to the Business of Esports podcast. It's great to be here with you guys. I'm a frequent listener, so nice to be on the other side. I always wondered, Paul, if you did the intro live, because you nail the intonation and the energy, and most clearly he does live. I mean, I'm a listener, not a viewer, so now I've seen it, seen it from behind the stage. Well done. Good to be with you guys. (laughs) Um, And people who have seen me do it live, like in, in our New York studio, uh, realize I actually don't read it either, um, which is also why they're not they're not always maybe the most consistent. They're pretty consistent, but oh, pretty pretty. You nailed it. You nailed it. For our listeners, the few who don't know about you or or have never heard of you uh, or the companies you've done the worked for or started, um, would love a little bit of the background on yourself, how you got into gaming, why you got into gaming. Um, and would love a little bit of the story, like around high res, around skill shot, around ghost, 
how all of these have come to be and what you're focused on today. Yeah, happy to share. So um, you got to go way back because I'm a bit older than uh, many of the folks working in the industry, but I love it. You know, early 80s, picture like a Stranger Things vibe. That, that was my life, right? It was first gaming was literally Pong, Magnavox, Odyssey 2, go to Casey's Arcade, play Space Invaders and in the Pizza Hut. Uh, Atari 2600, and then a lot of PC gaming. But my first gaming experience is uh, playing games with my father, who's a programmer at IBM. And so whether it's the Pong, whether it's the arcade, for me, games was all about connection with this most important person in my life. And and um, when I play games, I wanted to one day grow up and make games. And so I decided I'm going to learn computer programming and I'm going to make video games uh, I played all the ones that were out. It wasn't like today. I mean, there's not many great ones, maybe, uh, per your Gamescom <laughs> announcement. But there, there were many fewer, and I played them all. I thought, I'm going to learn computer programming to make games. So, so that was chapter one, was just video games is about connection and maybe about learning to program. I studied computer science, did a lot of boring to your listeners companies in the tech startup world, but that were financially lucrative. Um, one went public, one was bought, learned from great entrepreneurs. One day at this big, boring company, the founder of the company comes in and says, you remember that I started these companies because we wanted to make a video game company one day. And all I'm doing these days, because the company's kind of running itself, is I'm playing video games, my wife is on me. Why are you playing video games all the time? I think I need to start a video game company so my wife will kind of get off my back and I can tell her it's research for the company. You know, she won't believe it's real unless you come along with me. So how about we start a video game company? The next day we left this, you know, very large multi-million dollar enterprise software company and we started Hi-Rez Studios. Hi-Rez Studios started with four of us. It's now about 450 employees. We started that company at a really interesting time when it was the time 2005 used to be young people that someone would go to a retail store and they would buy a box and inside that box was a disc and that's how they would play their game, even PC games. And right around that time, there was the idea that maybe you could download your game on this thing called Steam that many people thought was a virus and, and didn't want it on their computer at that time. It was very controversial. But we said, forget the stores, forget the publishers. We can make a game. We can go right to the community, just us and them, and be both a developer and a publisher, which was a radical idea at the time. So fast forward 15 years, Hi-Rez, we got to make some great games. The game Smite, which is a third-person MOBA, most successful game, Paladins, Rogue Company. It's about 120 million people probably that have played a Hi-Rez Studios game. And towards the back half of Hi-Rez, in order to market our games, we were very early on the wave of influencers and Twitch and esports. Back then, I think we were the first studio to, from the studio, broadcast the game. Twitch seemed like it was going to be a thing. So we found an intern to make sure that someone was always streaming Smite 24-7. We said, we're going to be the CNN of this gaming video thing. And we were always on the front page of Twitch, which, of course, resulted in 
downloads. It's a lot harder to do today, but we were early on that. And we were also very, very early on esports and very organically. People, the community was just organizing tournaments and playing games. And we thought, what if we maybe give $100 for this weekend tournament? What if we do $200? What if we found another intern? We were big on interns to um, get on a mic and do play-by-play and do commentary. So it started very humbly. Within two years, we filled Cobb Performing Arts Center, 3,000 people, a prize pool that was 2.6 million, bigger than any game other than Dota at that time, is bigger than League of Legends. So even though we were a middle-sized developer, I'm 100% sure we spent the highest percentage of our marketing dollars on esports and streaming to market our game because we just saw that's what had return on investment. And then right before the pandemic, I, after 15 years, loved high res, but I saw an opportunity to go all in on this esports thing. So I'm probably one of the few team owners or event operators that comes from the world of making games first. I said, that's what I'm going to do. Worked out with the current management team, a chance to do a management buyout of Skillshot, which was an esports operation company originally owned by Hi-Rez Studios and now completely separate. And that gives us a B2B event infrastructure platform. Saw another opportunity to acquire Ghost, a great esports brand originally built in LA. So it wasn't part of founding it but found some investors who believed in that. So that catches us up to today. It's long, but so Skillshots does events, Ghost does engagement and entertainment. I do a lot of stuff in education as well, but we'll save that for a bit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who experience major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GamePresents today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GamePresents. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Todd, obviously, I want to talk about Skillshot and Ghost because that's what you're focused on today. But let's go back to high res for a minute. You know, I'm a big fan of the games you made at high res, right? Like Smite, Paladins, even, you know, I even played a little bit of Rogue Company. The one thing, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but the games have done extremely well, extremely well. But I always had this feeling, especially with like Smite and Paladins, that it's like, these games could have been top, top of their category. Like the game that like the, 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 the next Call of Duty kind of, you know, games that live forever and sell, you know, a billion copies. And, and, you know, because they were very much, I think both of them, you know, Paladins maybe a little bit less. So Paladins was, you know, very much like, I think inspired by Team Fortress and, you know, that kind of thing. But Smite especially was very unique and and it still has a rabid fan base to this day. What do you think was the reason that they never broke? And like I said, I don't put it in context here. They were still extremely successful. But what do you think was the one thing that would have taken them to that next level? Like games that, you know, we're going to be talking about and playing for the next 20 years. I mean, if, if I knew that, Paul, we would have done that. You know, you and me both saw that potential. You know, I think that, um, and to be clear, I also want to say I'm I'm now, you know, comfortably and friendly exited from high-res. Of course, I'm not speaking for the company there and their management yep. team. But um, I mean, number one, it took us a lot of failures and learnings to get to a smite, right? So as as everyone probably realizes games it's a hit driven business like like films most don't ever ship of the ones that ship 80% don't make their return back and then very few are profitable enough to actually grow the ability to invest in future titles so we did two games before smite which we could go into the first one lost tons of money my favorite game of all time, spoiler alert for your question at the end, way ahead of its time. We can talk about it, but we learned so much from that game that our second game, which was Tribes Ascend, break even and, and put us on the map. And then Smite, um, while not a tier one from a financial standpoint, is profitable enough that that not only can it keep employees in, to invest in that game, but to invest in other games. So um, so number one is you you don't have to be at the very tippity top to have a successful business. And I think that, you know, MOBA is, uh, it's kind of a question, you know, how many leading titles in a genre can there be? There was already League of Legends and there was Dota 2. Our innovation in Smite, in addition to the theme of gods, was a third person perspective, which in addition to making it more action oriented, and it's really good for selling skins, by the way, because you see your character and that team does a killer job making skins. It also allows that game to be played on the console. I'm a PC gamer, as you are, but it, there's, a, there's a lot of white space on the PlayStation and the Xbox where those other games are not going to be comfortable there. So, you know, if you look at the carcasses of the MOBA world, which includes some, you know, some of the largest publishers out there, Activision Blizzard, some great IPs from Marvel and DC. You know, I, I give the team a lot of props that um, the game 
still last year was the highest performing year revenue wise, you know, eight years in to the game. So yeah, it's a great community. And if uh, I'm sure if the team knew the one thing that would allow it to supplant <laughs> League of Legends, they would do it. But at this point, I'm Skillshot, I'm Ghost, I'm into all the publishers, all the games, so I can't play favorites. Now, is there anything you would have done different though? Because uh, Todd, you know, one of the reasons people listen to the podcast, I think is to get insight from people like you who have succeeded and also failed and, and you know, be- can benefit from the, the, you know, two decades of experience you have in the industry. So, yeah, no, I think a lot of it is literally just timing. You know, our first game uh, was very innovative and it broke a lot of genre boundaries and probably too many to be commercially successful. And so what we try to do at high res is find a genre understand the conventions of the genre and innovate on one or two of them to make them unique. With Smite, it was third person. With Paladins, it's a team-based shooter inspired by Team Fortress, developed at the same time as Overwatch, but we added a a series of being able to modify your characters with cards, like an element of a MOBA, right? So customization on top of your team shooter. So I think with a lot of those things, the timing of when you catch that wave is sometimes you're too early, sometimes you're too late. And I think that more than anything is where you end up between being number one and number five on the chart. At Smite World Championship, we we made foam fingers of the number three, and we proudly said we're number three uh, with Dota and League of Legends, you know, being one and two. And that's a great business. There's There's not a four or five or beyond that are viable. So you do what you can. Uh, let me tie this into Ghost uh, for a second. You know, we've had team owners on the podcast who have who have at least hinted that because of their audience as esports org owners or team owners, that they're thinking about getting into the into game development, right? It's like we have an audience. Well, let's build games that we can then, you know, feed to that audience. Given your, you know, you probably have extensive background in game development than any team owner on the planet today. Have you ever thought about bringing that to ghost gaming? Like, have you, have you thought about tying these things together? And I'm curious what you think about that in general. Yeah, I would say that most of the leading teams, they think a lot around IP that they can have more influence over because clearly the publishers create a lot of value and they hold the cards. And uh, it's important to have a relationship with the publisher. That's how we think about it with ghost is we engage in games where we have a direct relationship of some sort with the publisher. And so the idea of shifting that leverage a little bit and having your own game is, of course, very appealing. And it will happen at some point. 100% will happen. Whether the game is a good game, we'll see. But certainly there's going to be attempts in that direction. So I think the industry will be healthy if there's some of that shift. It's very difficult, right? And so Yeah, we think about it. Not something we're going to rush into. We're just very focused on delivering value to our fans and our community right now. And that's going to be a a multi-year process. But when teams, whether it's Ghost or others, really have vibrant fandom, that's a very very valuable asset, as you guys know, because it's hard to make a game. And then it's hard to have people discover that game, whether it's Doc Disrespect and his project or, you know, creators and teams are going to more and more engage in trying to make a game. Most will fail because most games fail, but eventually it'll get there. I feel like you guys gave Doc the whole idea of making his own game, right? Because he did a map for Rogue Company. 
I'm waiting. I'm waiting for my residual, Paul. Yeah. We did. <laughs> we knew he was a level designer in his past, obviously a huge audience. And so, yeah, cooperation there uh, with the doc and maybe that scratched an itch. You know, who knows? I, I do feel like that was the that was the tipping point, at least for him. Let's talk about ghost gaming for a second. Uh, and it's a question I ask every team owner who comes on the show. And so I'll ask you, which is, you know, I put teams on a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, I have sort of, you know, what we affectionately call hoodie orgs, more focused on content, media, merch, things like that. And then on the other end, sort of competition focused orgs that are all about winning and, you know, whether they sell a jersey or not, they sort of don't care. And, you know, it's a spectrum. So there's variations in between. But I'm curious where you put ghost gaming on that spectrum, if you agree with the spectrum and and sort of how you're thinking about ghost gaming in the context of the ecosystem or universe of other esports orgs. What is different? What what are you guys doing different? So. Two things. One, I think every esport team that wants to be viable and sustainable is thinking they need a business model that's more than winning tournaments. It's just the case that mathematically that is not going to work. It's too unpredictable and there's not enough money. And I don't see that changing. So every esports org should be trying to figure out what are other lines of business. So that's kind of the first point in terms of what those lines are. I think your spectrum is helpful, maybe looking backwards and very accurate. I think looking forward rather than thinking, okay, orgs are horizontal across competition or horizontal across content or horizontal across apparel and hoodies. Most sports businesses aren't that way. They're integrated vertically and they have multiple assets. And so the way I think about Ghost is much more vertical integration. And um, there's two aspects of that. One is while we're we're game agnostic in the long term, in that we're not currently in any franchise leagues, so we can be agile. When we do enter a game, our strategy is to enter it at as many different participation points as possible. So with Rocket League, we have one of the top North American Rocket League rosters competitively. We also have content creators. So we're in the content side. We have apparel and we do a lot with the community. We run Rocket League tournaments where our fans can play with some of our influencers and stream. And we will do and have done events. So we're trying to capitalize and give value to all the aspects around a game because gamers first point of fandom is actually the game. Rocket League fans don't care that much around what's going on in League of Legends or in Fortnite. So the primary uh, point of cultivating fandom is the game. And we're going to really support that community in all levels. That's number one. Secondly, with Ghost, and I know you have on the podcast talked with people about virtual global orgs versus the, the regionality. I am a huge proponent of regionality. I think regionality should win uh, and it will be healthiest for the ecosystem if it wins. And so that's also a principle of ours is we we can and will, we're already a global brand, but global brands still have a home. Coca-Cola is a global brand. Its headquarters is right down the street. Like I can see it, you know, it's in Atlanta, Georgia. That's where it started. The Jordan Bulls that I grew up with, the Bulls were a global brand, but it started with Chicago. Ghost is already a global brand with 30 million followers, but the center of the radius is Atlanta where we interact with hip hop, we interact with NBA, we, it, it, is, it has a home. That's what 
um, really allows these teams to have different voices, in my view, long term, because you want rivalry. So speaking of regionality, when, when you talk about interacting with hip hop and with traditional sports in Atlanta, is this part of the ghost culture that you're saying that, that that's what the regionality provides? Or what, what are the arguments or the aspects of regionality that you find most compelling? Well, so, I mean, the reason I think it's healthy for the industry is you either have a world where there's just one to three global lifestyle brands and they have all the influencers and one tries to be the edgy one and one's the super woke one and it just gets very generic very fast. And there will be a few that are at the top. But if you really want rivalry, you have to divide up the pie of fandom somehow. And if your regions are what we as humans understand, and I just saw it firsthand in Smite, or you can look at the recent Rocket League, every esports tournament, like when the NA team is out, that's your team, you root for NA and, and the Europeans do the same. Like this is just in our blood, right? Like I jump on the bandwagon of the Atlanta Braves, even though I can't stand baseball. Like I'm because I'm here in Atlanta, I can go to the place and I can be with the people and I can talk to it. It's just so natural. And then as esports starts to move down the funnel into amateur, which is really where the action is going to be, uh, as it is with youth sports. When you're playing at high school, when you're playing in college, these are institutions that are in a place. You want people that grow up in a place to have fandom. So we do build outs of esports labs, middle schools, high schools, YMCA's, Boys and Girls Club, um, the college league that we're promoting. These are all part of giving back to our backyard, which is going to create fans long term. And you can't do that anywhere. At least we can't. <laughs> Maybe a couple organizations can do that. But I don't think it yields an interesting, as interesting an ecosystem as when you have rivalry. And I think Geography is a natural point for that. Todd, given that preference, I'm curious, and maybe the timing didn't sync up, uh, but given that preference, like why have you stayed away from, for example, the Activision Blizzard franchise leagues, which are very much, you know, city centric? I mean, candidly, other people made different choices about that. I didn't think it was the right game to invest in um, at that way uh, in terms of just the ROI, right? and their operating model. I think they're learning and they're continuing to learn. But the original idea of having a home city, super appealing, building a franchise that wouldn't have been Ghost that I could use across games, because that's part of it. You know, The name that you use in the Activision Blizzard ecosystem is unique to that ecosystem. And other people made that choice. For me, I wanna always invest in a common brand, right? So yep. for, for the right game, a geo-located franchise system could make a lot of sense. The particular parameters of that one at that time didn't make sense to us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Interesting. Uh, and and I'm curious, like, uh, in terms of ghosts, how it how it sort of connects to Skillshot, right? Like, the vertical integration that you're talking about, I assume, extends to Skillshot. And the idea that you guys are doing activations at the pro level, content, amateur, right, is, was that sort of the, the thinking behind sort of folding Skillshot into this, that you're just going to be doing so much event production that you might as well control that piece of it? Or like, what was the thinking around that? Yeah, good question. So there's a holding company entity that owns 100% of both Skillshot and Ghost, right? And so that number one, from an investor standpoint, my money and external investors we brought on, it's a diversified revenue stream that just counts on gaming growing because you have business to business with Skillshot and you have business to consumer with Ghost. And there's also some education stuff that we can get into, which is another vertical that drives a lot of revenue for us and Goodwill. And so, so Skillshot makes revenue sometimes with our owned and operated events, including Ghost events, and sometimes just getting a production fee in order to put on an event like an ESL, like an esports engine, like a nerd street. It's kind of in that lane. I believe, and it's turning out to be true with COVID receding, there's going to be a lot of live event activity. And that's a great form of business for any of the investors in our Holdco because Skillshot can be independent. Also, as Ghost wants to build fandom in the region, we're going to do more and more events here. And having an owned event arm allows us to do that very, very efficiently, right? Here's a very specific example where they kind of come together is in May, um, Skillshot held a collegiate championship. Collegiate is very fragmented. There's a lot of great players. Picture, um, we called it May Madness, was March Madness for esports. 64 teams coming together, Valorant, Overwatch, Rocket League, Smash. Appoint a winner in all of those. Held in Atlanta, in a basketball arena. The Hawks were there, the NBA team, the Falcons were there, right? A lot of good brands there. And then Ghost was there building fandom as well. Um, And another 
example is probably the collegiate league that we could get into where it's geolocated, Skillshot can do events, and Ghost are finding up-and-coming Rocket League talent from the local community that could be future Ghost pros or social media managers, influencers, etc. Interesting. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you're doing at the college level and even more interesting, just what is your vision there? Like what what do the next two to five years look like for college esports? Because it's something that so many people talk about it and there's been so much discussion around it, and yet it's still very fragmented. And I'm curious what you think the five-year time horizon looks like. Yeah, so I'm optimistic about I'll say youth esports in general. I, I do think the structures that have developed for traditional youth sports will develop in esports, right? Traditional sports, you get exposed to a sport like soccer or basketball at a community center, boys and girls club, YMCA, or parks and rec. You then start playing in middle school for your school, high school. If you're really into it, you join a travel team. Maybe you get a scholarship in college. And then the 1% of the 1% play pro but everybody else had a really good experience and their parents were happy they did it. It wasn't a vice, it, it was positive. That is what I am trying to have emerge with esports. Really trying to build a whole vertically integrated development pipeline. And I can't do it everywhere, but I can do it here in my backyard and in this state. I can build out from Atlanta to Georgia. So we offer middle school Rocket League. Rocket League is also a sanctioned varsity sport in the state. And now with collegiate, all of the Georgia colleges, including the two years, the women's college, the HBCUs, we have already about 15 founding universities and technical colleges that are on board. Within two years, I believe every university in Georgia just about will have some sort of program because most of them already have a club and they'll attach to our property. And then that is talent development for professional players. One of the other big projects we're involved with is curriculum uh, to just work in the game industry or the events industry. So when a school like University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgia State enroll in our league, there's an optional product offering where that school has access to 18 hours of curriculum already stamped and certified. It's not a requirement that any of the players take it, but some percentage of your players are going to be interested in that. They can take classes on shoutcasting. They can take classes on event production. They can take classes in about a year on Unreal Engine and learn the development side of it. And it's a common curriculum that all these different schools can take. It's another line of revenue for what we're doing, but it's also a way to kind of give back and develop this region. So that kind of gets into some of the education component. Can you speak more as to how that's structured with your holding company and adjacent to skills to Skillshot and Ghost? I mean, you had mentioned the Georgia Esports League, right? And you had a big announcement yesterday that we could talk more about that you just spoke towards. But also you have a nonprofit in NASIF. I'm not sure if that's part of this conversation or related. So I just want to make more sense of how these plug into each other as well as plugging into your your other businesses. Yeah. So again, event production skillshot engagement, entertainment, ghost, and then education, the brand for the for-profit is called Skillshot Academy. And so Skillshot Academy delivers in-person training. So we had 30 kids on Monday, 20 on Tuesday. Tonight, there'll be the shoutcasting class, which is a group of 10. They're in a classroom. 
they're having lecture, they're learning all these skills through Skillshot Academy and Georgia Film Academy combination. And their final project is doing all the production for this collegiate league. So you have college kids playing one another in Rocket League, and then you have college kids working with Skillshot and Ghost to do the commentary, to do the event production, to be in the control room, right? So it's a really nice kind of workforce development program. A partner in all this, um, but separate, is a nonprofit that I chair. And as a nonprofit, as an independent board, and um, but it shows where a lot of my passion is. Uh, and that's this organization called NASEF, N-A-S-E-F. And it was started by uh, some individuals in Orange County, California. It was actually um, the Sam Welly Foundation who founded Broadcom, you know, multi-billionaire. His passions were tech and education. He spent $80 million of family foundation money building out a STEM ecosystem across the United States, did a lot of good work. But after eight years, they saw it was kind of only reaching like white dudes like me that would probably be into this stuff anyway. And they wanted to expand it, reach people of color, reach more females. At the same time, video games was being played by everybody. Everyone plays games, particularly at that young age. So they pivoted created NASIF, which is using video games for positive student outcomes in scholastic environments. So that's a nonprofit. I'm very passionate about it. I share that. It's a partner too, but not directly related to some of these things. That organization just gives free curriculum to teachers. So you can use Fortnite or Minecraft to teach your class because the hardest thing of teaching a class is getting the student's attention and games have the student attention. So you can have curriculum approved by the state of California, state of Georgia, to use these games to teach English and math, you know, it goes well beyond games. It's just project-based learning using games. I think the goodwill is incredible and speaks for itself. You mentioned, though, that this is also a very profitable element of, of your business. I'm curious what you're finding or, or how you're driving meaningful revenue on the Skillshot Academy side of things, we have a, a ton of listeners, a ton of guests that always mention what a tough nut to crack education is because schools typically have lower budgets. You're dealing with children that are going through their parents for, you know, that don't necessarily have that earning potential themselves. Uh, what are you doing here that's so successful for you guys? With Skillshot Academy, there's a future path to online modules, which are very scalable that way, where folks can take a video class and earn a certification. That's a little more in the future. Right now, the relationship that we have between Skillshot and the state of Georgia, it's student-based fees the same way universities monetize today. So, there's basically a fee split arrangement where if you're enrolled at Georgia State and you're paying your student fees and you decide you want to major in game design or in sports journalism and the university delivers that through us, well, there's a student fee split relationship. So without getting too much of the details, it's being monetized the same way colleges monetize in general. They have to pay instructors they and they need sustainable income and there's student fees that that helped to make that happen. Does that make sense, Jimmy? I, I follow that completely. Yep. Um, Paul, I was going to direct the conversation elsewhere unless you had a follow-up. It looks like you were about to jump no, in. No, I wanted to I wanted to go back to the regional thing because oh. the, the one thing that 
you know, you, you mentioned in passing in the, the, the event you guys did in May was you did it in a basketball stadium. And again, one of the recurring themes we've talked about on this podcast is, is there a place for dedicated venues? And, you know, we know Overactive Media is spending half a billion dollars in Toronto to build one there. And, you know, there was one in Philadelphia that has not happened. It was supposed to happen. It didn't happen. I'm curious, Todd, how you're thinking about dedicated esports venues, given that you have a, an esports team and an event management company it feels like maybe that's the perfect fit for you guys so curious how you're thinking about that yeah it's a great question so a year ago we occupied a new facility in atlanta in the buckhead area of atlanta and that is where we have the production studio of skillshot control room set it's where we have this classroom where people come in and get lecture it's where the ghost headquarters is for boot camping and content and when our creators are in town. Uh, so that is all clustered in this esports campus. And then the nice thing about this arrangement is that it's part of an office complex with a 32,000 square foot, I will say atrium. It is not an arena. It is literally, imagine a hotel lobby that is beautiful, but with amenities, with seating, with a game room, with a PlayStation and a golf simulator. This has been built out with other people's money because the real estate developer wants a work, live, play environment. They have a million square feet of office to lease in a time of COVID. So they rightly identified that they need to overdo it on the amenities to try to get people to show up to work. So it's, so the game room and a health club and this beautiful atrium. We worked with them as the first tenant of this campus to make sure there's a massive LED screen there, which is perfect for esports events. And oh, by the way, this used to be the headquarters of AT&T. So we've got redundant fiber, and then we as Skillshot installed two over-the-air point-to-point networks. So we have a venue that during the day is just a beautiful lobby for office tenants. And at nights and weekends, we're the event operator. And so hosting events, which we've already started to host, it's a very nice multi-use model versus a dedicated facility that's entirely reliant on enough esports activations to pay for itself. And I think over the next three years, that's the smart play is facilities that also host concerts, corporate events, even weddings, and they are built to do esports events. And again, we just got in at the right time. And I mean, we've done hundreds of live esports events, right? We, we paid out $10 million on the Skillshot side in events. So we know what the IT and design requirements could be. So we got in enough time where they could do that anyway. And that's where for the next few years, we'll be hosting events. On your broader question, I mean, given enough time, yeah, you know, back to game timing, like, is that is that three and a half years? Is that five years? You know, it will make sense at some point. It doesn't make sense for us at Ghost right now to invest in that that's entirely reliant on esports activities. But this atrium that we have, oh, it's beautiful. You guys should come down. We'll, you'll, you'll see an event there. <laughs> I love it. So no half billion dollar stadium today. Not today. Nope. Nope. Not today. Okay. Um, uh, just, uh, I want to hit on one other thing on the Skillshot side. You guys obviously, in, as part of the event production process, as part of the, putting on leagues and tournaments and all these kinds of things, 
obviously work with a lot of brands. I'm curious some of your experiences there and just how that has evolved over the years where you've been doing stuff with Skillshot. Are we at a point, and I ask this question often, are we at a point where you feel like the brands get it immediately now? Is there still an education process? And maybe just some of the examples of brands you guys have worked with successfully. Yeah, so examples of brands, I mean, the college event specifically that was in May, for example, I mean, had some some large brands, Barbasol, McDonald's, the Air Force, CDW, Microsoft, uh, in addition to the sports franchises and some of the endemic orgs, control the new, you know, new kind of gamer powder drink, et cetera. So, so combination of endemics, big sports brands and, and large marquee consumer brands. But I think we're still really early days. There's still education needed with many brands. They now understand that gaming is big, but don't necessarily know how to engage. Many of them have had campaigns and they, they didn't deliver ROI. They, they just were not executed well, right? That happens in the early days of most things. And so we're still early days. And I think when you just look at a big company, they're certainly spending less than 5% of their marketing on gaming. And we know that's where the attention is. So we're just at the very, very beginning of spending in the category. So a little bit of education unlocks test budgets which when you perform well, can and do grow. And so, you know, we just try to over deliver for our partners. So they keep coming back with a little more budget and we deliver a little more value. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How are you thinking about that sort of revenue line, Todd, in the context or in the yeah, in the context of sort of the greater business, right? Like how much of that holding company's total revenue is coming from, if you can say, from sponsor dollars today? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you that um, I think that the industry and even the companies that have had nice exits, like an ESL, let's say, for example, right, which is more in the event space, had a great exit, face it, you know, most of those businesses, they start with services revenue where they're a vendor and someone's just paying them, consulting, production services, lower margin, but really good revenue. And that allows you to build up your muscle and your team and your facilities and invest. And then they turn more and more to what I'll call owned and operated properties where they have the IP. And yes, there's corporate sponsorship, but there's also merchandise, there's also ticket sales, et cetera. So in general, for resurgence between Skillshot and Ghost and Skillshot Academy, we're starting with most of the revenue coming from direct services, consulting for a brand, someone writes us a check to do an awesome live event or to do a virtual production education that is you know, more direct fee for service. And we're investing that in the brands that we own, the Georgia Esports League, like Ghost. There's other acquisitions we have our eye on. So that's kind of our high level path, right, is to drive revenue through services that allow us to invest in our current IP or find other IPs where the real value and scale is five years from now or, or 10 years. Every business I've been in, it took 10 years to be really meaningful. And I think anyone investing in esports should have a 10 year view. Like that's where the real action is going to come. It always takes longer than you expect and more money than you expect. That's just the, it's the nature of hard things. That's it. Uh, Jimmy, unless you have any other questions, I want to get to everyone's favorite new segment. I'm ready for it. All right. So for those who are new to the podcast, the way this works, Judge Jimmy's going to ask a few rapid fire questions. The idea here is we want to get to know Todd a little bit more as a gamer, as a person. Uh, hopefully, they're really simple questions. But uh, Judge Jimmy, take it away. I don't know how simple, because Todd alluded <laughs> to a, a lengthy discussion on his favorite game, and I want to hear it. I want to hear about the elements that make it his favorite game or genre. So I think we're going to direct the conversation around that. Todd, what is this game we've heard so much about that you love so dearly? <laughs> All right. Well, the quick answer, the game that I didn't make that I like, I, I'm a big fan of Bioshock, I would say. like I just think it was well executed. It was yep. environmentally interesting. Storytelling through mechanics is great. So that's the quickie. Uh, yeah, we've got to go back to high Res's first game for my real favorite game. And so Hi-Rez's first game was a game called Global Agenda. It took us five years to make. You haven't heard of it and you're not alone. Um, <laughs> Global Agenda was the first free-to-play game on Steam ahead of Team Fortress. So we worked with Valve to literally help and, you know, engineering give feedback on the wallet of Global Agenda. Global Agenda was incredibly ambitious for a first-time developer. We were about 50 people at that time. It was our first game as a studio. We had veterans. Destiny, with a lot more scope, maybe would kind of put you in the right headspace. 
So this was the time of MMOs. We were playing a lot of City of Heroes at the time. World of Warcraft was happening. So the vision was, this is going to be an MMO. It's going to have real-time combat, aka Planet Side, which was a first-person shooter. But our combat felt a little more like Halo. So you're going to shoot real guns. You're going to have to aim. None of this tab targeting BS. Aim, move, teamwork. So imagine like Halo or Team Fortressy class-based combat. It was also going to have a role-playing component to it. You were earning skill points and you were modifying it. So you have a team shooter plus an RPG. And then the end game, which is what MMOs are all about. At the end game, the three of us are part of a large, let's say, 30-person or 100-person player agency, like a guild. Uh, this is a futuristic, you know, post-apocalyptic AI robot sort of world. We, as an agency... We're going to go out and attack other agencies on a real world hex map. And we're going to actually take territory. And then we can start farming and developing robots and aircraft that we can use to bulk up our agency and actually win over a three-person campaign the season and get our name of our agency permanently in the world. So you have a shooter with an RPG with an RTS, best game of all time. This sounds like the greatest game. It ever. is the greatest game, Paul. It is the greatest game. The servers are. How do I play this? I wanted to see this announcement at Gamescom. <laughs> amazing, amazing game. A ambitious is an understatement. A little ambitious for a first time title okay. of 50, but. There's code somewhere, Todd, that we'll be able to play it, right? After this podcast at some point. <laughs> I'll text. I'll text my friends. Maybe they can light up the servers for just you know just a couple hours, so we can get into an ABA. That was the high end agency versus agency. So, so. so I, I honestly don't know if you can answer this next question given the prior answer. But what's your favorite game genre? Then I mean, you're talking MMOs, first person shooters, RPG. Like, where is there an answer? No, I I, I can't. We we kind of tend to bend genres a little bit at at high rise. I mean, yeah. I think you know, I think the team shooter, you know, is uh, I like class based games. I like to have a little bit of a role, and I am not as fast as I used to be. So I like things with a support function, like where I can be maybe an active healer, like that sort of thing. Anything that gives you that, and Paladins gives you that, Smite gives you that, Global Agenda even gave you that. You had also jetpacks. I left that out. That was a bonus. You had jetpacks and shooty things in case the game wasn't awesome enough. <laughs> Love it. Uh, what about now? What are, what are you playing these days? Hardly anything, Jimmy. I'm I'm resigned to be a you know a freaking mobile game player of all things. So I've always been a PC game player, and I mean right now it's it's small bits of time. When we were doing early skill shot stuff for other folks. We launched um, Brawl Stars for our friends at Supercell. We did the first year and a half. I'm still on a little bit of that Brawl Stars grind. So I guess if you ask me like what I'm playing every day in small bits, it's a little sad to admit, but it's more mobile than PC. And specifically these days, it's it's Brawl Stars. My trophy count's pretty high there. <laughs> uh, last one for you, Todd, and then we'll let you go here. This could be either a, a game, a movie, a TV show, a roller coaster, theme park. But I'm curious, your favorite adaptation from gaming IP, whether it's you know The Witcher, whether it's Arcane. Oh, I well, mean, it's Arcane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Arcane. Yeah. Arcane was excellent. Uh, it was excellent. I'm not even that big of a League of Legends like lore person, but you didn't have to be. 
It was very well executed. I love it. Uh, I think, I mean, Riot's doing a great job on a bunch of different fronts. If you're in the spaces that I'm in and you want publishers that are also supporting esports, and um, it just shows how a game can be transmedia and appeal to more fans and start to become mainstream. So it was arcane. Solid. Well, that, that ends Judge Jimmy's cross-examination, Todd. It was a pleasure having you on today. I'll give you back to Paul now. Todd, um, for, for those who want to know more about what you're doing or follow you or follow Ghost or follow Skillshot, like where can you be followed or found or, or some of your companies be followed or found? Yeah, Ghost Gaming's active on all the platforms, of course, at just at Ghost Gaming. Love to have people join the, the Ghost Gang there. And for Todd, uh, really Twitter and LinkedIn are my old person platforms of choice. So Todd Allen Harris on Twitter or LinkedIn. And I will put in a plug for anyone kind of on the industry business side that I know your listeners are. I mentioned this to Jimmy ahead of time. We're, we're going to have an esports summit that will be out of this beautiful arena that I just talked about. So this atrium, and it'll be November 17th and 18th, right before DreamHack Atlanta. So if you're in the area or you're not in the area and you want to be part of a great consumer show, which is DreamHack Atlanta, and also be with the esports industry folks, Thursday and Friday, November 17th and 18th, esportssummit.live. Love to have folks join us. That's so cool. And the timing makes so much sense. Uh, I know so many of our listeners, I'm sure, will be at DreamHack Atlanta and uh, makes a lot of sense for them to go to the summit too. So very cool, Todd. Thank you so much. I mean, we probably could do... 10 more podcasts with you and I'd still have a bunch of questions. Uh, you really are a legend and hopefully everyone uh, enjoys or learns something from this. I will say we have to try this game though. This is now, now that I, now that I know this game exists, this is going to become part of my life's mission. Just one more thing to put on the bucket list. I, I love it. All right. We'll, we'll find, we'll find some time to flip the servers back on for, <laughs> for a couple of games. Uh, but thank you so much, Jimmy. Thank you as always for our listeners, just a little bit of housekeeping. Don't forget Follow Business of Esports everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, you name it. We're on every single platform and we put unique content out on every single platform. So if you're just a listener of the podcast, you're missing out. There's a bunch more content that we put out daily that we know you'll enjoy. Also go subscribe to our brother and sister podcast, Meta Business and Meta Woman. If you're interested in the metaverse and Web3 world, there's a lot of content there as well. As always, guys, though, don't forget the most important thing. The future is fun. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Business of Esports podcast. Check us out at thebusinessofesports.com and on Twitter at bizesports. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference that's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through better help provides online therapy on your schedule it's flexible simple to use and more affordable than in-person therapy connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you learn more at betterhelp.com that's better h-e-l-p.com at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. 
And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.